I'm here with uh, with Pablos. Um, hello, Pablos. Hi there. Uh, good you find the time to talk with me here. Um, you are... Well, wh maybe you can just explain yourself what, sure. you're, <laughs> what you are and what you, what you do. Uh, something's wrong because people are constantly asking me to explain myself. Yeah, which apparently I apologize. Going very well. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, you can make it short. Well, I think for, um, you know, for your purposes, I'm uh, kind of inventor. I work on a lot of wacky um, R&D projects trying to, uh, in particular, trying to apply rapid prototyping and rapid development concepts to um, specifically like from the software industry and software development, I should say, to um, developing electronics and robotics and um, other things with new materials that, that interest me in particular, some of which is for product development and other things uh, just private uh, for private clients that want something new and interesting. Um, and so my, you know, over the years I've worked on a lot of kind of different projects, but now, um, uh, now I've, I guess I've got, you know, a lot of that was software development and over time I got more interested in building actual stuff. So I'm into building things and a lot of my How, how long are you doing it? Mm. When did you start? Well, I think it's kind of been a progression. I mean, my, most of my work was software until about, um, four years ago and then I was working on the OQO which we built uh, this the world's smallest PC it's basically like a laptop but fits in your pocket and has the same features as a laptop and runs Windows XP like a laptop but it's just tiny and with that in particular and the project before that I was working on building spaceships at Blue Origin all of it really uh, just got me enthralled with making physical stuff, you know, building stuff that you could, uh, you know, play with and show people and feel, and it wasn't so mysterious as software. And so um, after that, uh, I just kind of kept with it and, and um, started looking for more of the kinds of projects where I get to build things in lots of different ways and applying lots of new tools and using computers to run tools that, that we can use to do things. And so for me, it's, you know, there's, a, in, especially in software, there's always kind of a theme of um, security with the work I'd done. And so we got really into, into hacking with computers, you know, years and years ago. And then we would sort of take the time to um, always develop cool new hacks and, and show them, especially at hacker conferences and things where we could kind of share those things, which are kind of inspirational in a way, but also... Um, to try and help with making computers more secure. And I think, yeah, what, go ahead. What, what, um, we, we had uh, at the DLD conference here yeah. today, you, you gave a talk, and I know you, you didn't choose the title, but sure. it, but the, 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 the lecture was uh, running under the name Hackers Inc. Yeah. And, and you showed a variety of projects uh, that you did. Uh, I know you're yeah. not too uh, happy with, with the title. Oh, you? no, it's, it's just, I, I'm fine with the title. I just, uh, I don't know what it means. <laughs> but it's, uh, but the, you know, what I'm trying to do here is take some of the things that we've, You know that we've developed at hacker uh, conferences and things that are demonstrations of security vulnerabilities. Um, and what I try to do is pick the ones that are fun and interesting that I can demo and and then show them somewhere like this, where it's a less uh, it's not a technical conference. This is an audience that's not hackers. They haven't seen those things before, and so it's interesting to them because it's all new. 
and uh, it's also interesting to me to show them because um, it helps people not have a false sense of security about about the things they use, their cell phones and their computers and things. But um, but the real reason, I mean, the real reason I would show these things here is is inspirational. I want people to see what hackers are up to and see the kinds of things that that are possible when when you have the mindset that that hackers have and and I would characterize that as being very um you know very fluid and free and uh open to all kinds of possibilities and so with hackers you know we're we're taking things apart and and breaking them and finding all what all the pieces fall out of of them and uh and then we figure out what we can make out of those pieces and build something new and so to me the spirit of hacking is so closely related to the spirit of uh, innovation and that discovery process that's necessary to do new things. And I think that's something that a lot of, you know, our companies aren't really good at. And in particular, um, it, it's part of why they're not good at uh, making cool products. You know, a lot of the things that a lot of companies are making really suck. And it's because they don't, they don't have a soul in them. They just were made from a feature list of things that they thought the market wanted, but they don't behave like uh, something I would really want to use because they weren't made by people who wanted to use them. And so th what I'm, in a sense, sort of trying to do is both encourage companies to value the hackers they have and get them out of computer security department and put them in the product development department and uh, and give them the freedom to just, just play and, and instead of telling them to you know, not do any of that stuff at work, you know, um, tell them to come to work and break everything and try and come up with something new. And, and then through that discovery process, they'll find something worth putting into products. And that's what I think is, is sorely missing. And it, and we used to kind of solve that just by doing it in startups, but it's really been tough. Um, at least in, in Silicon Valley, I think, and in the U S in particular to, uh, to have startups that are crazy enough um, to really do innovative things these days. And, and everybody has had so much experience with them and they've been through it before and they know what all the problems are, that everything that can go wrong and they know what not to do. And so by the time you don't do everything that you're not supposed to do, you're left with nothing. And so I think it's a tough, it's tough for startups to be innovative enough these days. And you, you mentioned that that you showed things that you're usually yeah. showing at, at hacker conferences. Mm -hmm. So w which conferences in oh. particular are, are talking about? Well, over the years, we've spent the most time, um, myself along with the Schmoo Group, uh, which is a kind of hacker group. Um, we have shown most of our stuff at uh, DEF CON over the years. And then and that's the one we kind of invested ourselves in the most. But we're big fans of some of the other hacker cons that have gone on. Uh, we love TourCon and we love some of the the other smaller hacker cons, CodeCon was great, um, although you know less about security, and that's what I think is good about them is kind of getting rescuing hackers from security and getting them back into building stuff is is really important to me, and I think some of these conferences are doing that. And so, when we started ShmooCon a couple of years ago, we specifically tried to design it so that it would help with that, you know, and help. And it is a security conference; it is important for. To, you know the focus is on security, but we built it. We set up uh, ShmooCon with with separate tracks for what we called the the Break It track, which is all the tracks about 
vulnerabilities and finding uh, flaws with stuff and and helping to uh, just break everything and show how it's broken. And then we have a build it track, which is a track for speakers who have cool stuff they want to show that they've built, that they've made, and 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 all those innovative concepts that come out of that. And I really I love that aspect of ShmooCon, and I think that that's you know to me that's the most like important idea behind it is like how do we um, recognize that hacking's about so much more than security um, issues, and it's about this mindset that that lends itself to to building cool shit. So that's what I'm trying to do. So um, ShmooCon is a an annual conference. Yes, in it's Washington D.C. When is it usually going on? Uh, it's March this year. Okay, so still enough time. For yeah, that's right. To plan on the uh, yeah, it's it's been, been very publishing. Yeah, we got really podcast. lucky, and it's been very successful and popular. And it's it's uh, tough to tough to get tickets, but it's um, mm -hmm. how many it's people really are we let? I think we let 800 people in, and and it's we trying or not trying to grow specifically. So it's it's hard to keep because we don't want it to get too big. But um, I think it's. I think they have like a 800 or a thousand is the limit this year. I don't. I don't know exactly. But it's on a first first come first yeah, serve basis. Yeah, well, we, we have a weird t scheme for buying tickets where they've actually allocated. You could buy some in December and some in January and some in March. But each so like on the first of each month, I think we sell some tickets, but they sell out in a few minutes. So you kind of gotta. <laughs> kind of get, get out of bed and sit in front of your browser and wait for them to go on sale to get them which is it's it's charming i mean i'm really happy that we don't have the opposite problem and it's sad that it's tough for some people to get in but i mean to make, keep the quality we just can't let it grow too fast so so you said the schmookon is organized by the schmoo group well it's so it's actually i mean to be fair yeah so the schmoo group is you know sort of i i suppose like you know like the loft or other hacker groups from that we you know used to have and i think that um you know we've just we're just like the one that's still around you know because <laughs> it's hard it's hard to do anything or organized with a bunch of anarchists <laughs> for a long period of time and so the shmoo group over the years has done a lot of projects mostly related to hacktivism or um, hacker activism and showing security flaws and we've you know some of our famous projects aside from like the hacker bot are like um Air Snort, which showed, which was an early tool for showing um, web cracking, and then um, we make like Osiris, which is a host intrusion detection tool, you know, open source app, and then we have Air Snarf, which is showing um, how to do captive portal uh, man in the middle attacks on Wi-Fi. Um, we have, you know, a lot of a lot of the time we've just made these different tools and made different demonstrations of vulnerabilities. And then tried to figure out, um, you know, to me in particular, I spent my efforts in trying to figure out how do we publicize these issues. Because even, you know, it's what's sad to me in a way is the things I'm showing here at DLD are, uh, you know, not interesting at hacker conferences because they've seen it all. It's all a couple of years old, you know. But when I come to an audience like this, which is not paying attention to hacker cons, they haven't seen any of it. And so... I can show three-year-old attacks on uh, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something, and it's going to be interesting to this crowd. And that's, um, you know, to me that just shows that we're not doing a very good job of letting the public at large know about the security problems. And and I think they need to know because we've, we have done a good job at letting vendors know over the years and um, with mixed degrees of success, and we really haven't, haven't been successful at getting uh, 
getting vendors to buy into the security issues. I think it's improving over time, but a lot of times they don't want to face them. The the Shmoo Group is it uh, a regional? Uh, no, the Shmoo Group is all. It's mostly. I have to say, it's mostly the U.S., but we have some folks in, um, you know, in the in Europe. Uh, we have Ben Laurie is in England, and he's uh, in the Shmoo Group, and we have. Adam Shand is in New Zealand. We have a few guys from different uh, different countries in there, but it's mostly all uh, in the U.S. and they're kind of split between the East Coast and the West Coast. So, how, how do you establish communication? Uh, we just have, you know, members. we have the Schmoo Group list, and everybody just gets on the list, and we just bitch about whatever we want and <laughs> and decide what we want to do next. And um, we've done that for years. You know, we sort of, I think, when we started the Schmoo Group, the only way to do it would be an email list, and so. Okay, but but you said it's you know uh, we should sort of get security out of the main uh, focus. Yeah. Uh, now you were talking about lots of security yeah. tools. So right. is there, uh, what are the other aspects apart from yeah. uh, making things? Right. Is there also a political uh, a political part in in this community that plays a role? Hmm. Um, do you, I'm not sure I understand what you're asking about. I mean, I think the it's true that I think that hackers can spend their talents um, on other things more, you know, that are more valuable than just security issues. Um, we, you know, we have institutionalized a lot of the, a lot of the ways that you reduce security problems. So for instance, fi you know, five or 10 years ago, you just couldn't, you couldn't get anybody to let you audit their code. You had to, uh, you know, try to convince them that that would be a good thing to do to make their software more secure, and they just did not, they would put it off, and they didn't want to hear about it, and they didn't want to spend money on it. But now that security issues are, are more well-known, um, especially in the U.S. market, and we have regulatory um, compliance issues for some big companies, they do have a budget for security. They are putting effort into getting their applications looked at. So we can, you know, we can get companies to audit their code and hire security experts to do that. And I think that as we do that, you know, we're, you know, we're getting it into the realm of a business, you know, we're getting it into the realm of, of a ongoing service. You need hackers to always be showing you what the problems are, but then you need that, you know, security consulting industry to go and take that to every company, to every application, to every device and, and make them secure. And it's hard, you know, it's hard. And you, s you can't ever be completely secure, but you have to be diligent. And so... So how uh, and how how does the group relate to the open mm. source movement? Is this well, I think like just two things uh, uh, yeah, going well with each other, or is it very strong? The Shmoo group in particular is, you know, uh, you know very enthusiastic about open source stuff, and we've made some open source software. and um, Open source or... Free yeah. software, yeah, even. both. I mean, yeah, the, as the software we've made has all been free, and the I'd like to have, you know, done more of it over the years. But the hard part, I think, is um, you know, building an open source app is is a tough problem. And for me in particular, I'm good at doing the first version of something, but sticking with it, you have to build a, you know, you have to build an ecosystem to support it. It's really amazing to me how well that's worked out for you know for the big open source apps in particular, like uh, like Apache and whatnot. And I think the problem, 
you know, part of the problem with using open source software on the whole is that uh, you got a lot of pieces of it that really there's one guy behind it. You know, a lot of open source apps is just one guy who's who's pouring his life into it. You know, usually for you know, in a lot of cases with no economic support, and um, that guy has a lot of the application in his head. You know. <laughs> And even though we have the source, it's not really easy for somebody else to go work on it. And that's partly, you know, that's partly to do with the languages we've used over the years and partly to do with the way computers are architected. It's not, it's not so easy to go muck with somebody else's code. Um, but it's possible, and that's, a, and that's a good start, you know. So, so, so when I was asking about political issues, yeah. I was also probably how... Um, the Schmoo group or oh. the the overall community mm -hmm. are not really only focusing on, on this particular group sure. here uh, relates to the public and relates okay, to sure. the media yeah. in, in terms of being a hacker doing hacker things right so for us I mean the things we took on really early had to do with uh, you know crypto for example was a big issue for us in, in the 90s when we were trying to figure out You know, how do we solve this problem we had in the U.S. where the government had outlawed the use of uh, strong crypto, um, especially for export. So you couldn't, uh, you couldn't export software that would do um, strong cryptography. And we thought that you know, it was a pr particularly bad position because we wanted to be able to communicate with people all over the world. And we wanted to be able to have confidence in the crypto. And, and that was one problem where I think collectively community as a whole with, you know, tiny minor contributions from the Schmoo group, um, got enough attention to really affect the, uh, the legislation and that was fixed, you know, so now we have um, solved that problem. Uh, you know, we moved on from there into um, issues related to uh, reverse engineering and privacy issues. To me, reverse engineering is fundamental, it's crucial, everything you learn has to be from um, from observation and and um, and that's where you know that's where progress comes from so it's completely asinine that uh, that we've allowed some things like the DMCA to try and um, put limits on reverse engineering and so to us that's something worth working on and we you know like one of the things we worked on was uh, a friend of ours was um, in the US was arrested and put in jail for reverse engineering the copy protection scheme in in uh, Adobe's software and um, in, P in PDF in particular and and he was a Russian citizen who visited the US. We're talking about the Skularov Yeah, uh, this case. is Dmitry Skularov. Right. And so um, Dmitry came over and just showed his work which in fact was really fascinating because what he was showing is that the security mechanism like the password protection mechanism for the PDFs um, wasn't secure at all. It was really easy to break. And this is a case where you have a massive, you know, relatively massive software company that we loved. You know, Adobe's great, made great products over the years. And I personally have, have loved using Adobe products over the years. But to me, it was really sad because what they did is they asked the feds to step in and arrest him and for a DMCA violation. So he was the first guy prosecuted for a DMCA violation and, um, you know, for the, the under the auspices of reverse engineering. And the situation there was that they were selling a product specifically saying that this is a security product. You know, you put a password in and we're going to keep your PDFs secure. Well, 
You know, you're not getting what you think you're paying for. And you have no way personally of assessing, I mean, it's complicated stuff, so I can't necessarily determine that it's insecure. You need experts who can figure that out. And, and in this case, you know, you've got a Russian researcher who's doing it for free and letting the vendor know and letting the public know, the customers know. And I think that that's it's delightful. It's wonderful. It's exactly the, the process that we should have. And what should happen is Adobe should thank him and they should fix the problem and move on. But instead what happens is they're, you know, trying to take these, what you know, what I think are... Um, punish the deliverer of the bad news. They're trying yeah. to punish the, the messenger and also they're using these, uh, these unconstitutional laws that we've managed to sneak in, uh, in the DMCA in particular. And it's a it's really sad state of affairs. So we got, you know livid about these things and try and put a lot of work into getting Dimitri freed and we did but you know the guy lost at least six months of his life when he had to stay in in California partially in jail or or there for rel various court issues until he could go back home to his family in Moscow and he's got two kids and a wife over there I mean it was a really sad really sad experience and so I you know it's something I put a lot of effort into at the time because it was trying to help him out and I um and I shouldn't have had to do that you know <laughs> And so, anyway, you know, moving forward, like, past that experience, um, you know, the, the Shmoo group has tried to, you know, I think uh, with Wi-Fi in particular, we got pretty interested in trying to show the the flaws in both the protocol and in various implementations in Wi-Fi um, because it got so, you know, it got so popular so fast and everyone was using it with really no understanding of the security issues. I mean, at the very basic level, it's just putting up an access point and having it completely open is a is a liability I mean, it's a risk to a user and it's okay i think open wi-fi is great but you just got to know what, what the implications are and people don't so we put some effort into that unfortunately the encryption standards for wi-fi were um you know were, were not as secure as as uh people imagined and so you know we have to show exactly how long it takes us to break the encryption so that people know what they're using and um and uh, and unfortunately it's not just web you know they went back and revisited it with wpa and and um i think very soon you're going to start seeing this the same kinds of um attacks that are possible on wpa and so people just need to know it's a moving target security is a moving target the things that you rely on require a, a deeper understanding, and um, when, when, yeah. when you when you say you 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 showed and you and you yeah, published right. yeah right yeah uh, right who did you show it and yeah and well so that's your, one of the what were your experiences yeah, especially so with media yeah right sense. so for us we you know the first initially what we would do with these things is you know show something at DefCon to a thousand people in the audience or whatever and then we would you know, maybe release a tool to demonstrate or something. But we were just showing it to geeks. And it really, and even if we managed to get any uh, press about it, it would just be like the press that covers computer security, which only geeks read. And there's really not, you know, it was very insular. Um, so then when, you know, then we got sort of more creative about it. And I, I would like to say it was totally strategic, but I don't think it was. We made... Um, we wanted to build a robot. Eric and I, another guy in the Shmoo group, wanted to build a robot. And so we, you know, we bought some wheels on eBay 
and started building a robot and then got halfway into it and said, well, what's the point of building this robot? You know, we, we don't need a robot to fetch beer for us, so um, we have to come up with a reason to say, well, I don't know, what do we normally do? Well, normally we're hacking. So, okay, great, we'll build a hacker robot. So then we, uh, we built this robot and it was called the HackerBot and the HackerBot could drive around and find Wi-Fi users and then it could drive up to them and show them their passwords on the screen. And the thing about the HackerBot was that um, it turned out to be a really instructive lesson because it wasn't doing anything that you you know a geek with a black t-shirt and a laptop couldn't do. But the hacker got HackerBot got printed in the New York Times and the Washington Post and on CNET. It was like all over the place and the and it got a lot of attention because it was a cute little robot, you know. And so um, people like robots, and it makes it more interesting. And it made the whole uh, issue of Wi-Fi security more mediagenic. And so now people were paying attention. And so after that, we learned to sort of embody our messages in in much more interesting ways. And in, in a media compatible yeah, fashion. Yeah, in a media anyway. compatible fashion. There you go. And so I was ha I was quite happy about that. I mean, I really I felt in the in the hackerbot itself was charming. I mean. You, You know, it's a nefarious robot that's stealing your passwords, but people just thought it was cute. And they're like, oh, look, a cute robot. Look, it has my password. Isn't that charming? So, you know, I think there's a there's a, some fun to it, and we try to keep it fun. You know, I'm not, I'm you know, I'm at a conference, and I'm collecting passwords, but, you know, fortunately I'm not doing anything with them except showing people that their passwords are there. But but I think it's a, it helps to wake people up and helps to show them um, where they're at. So um, talking talking about the com community, especially in the in the U.S. and, yeah. and North America. So we we mentioned the Schmoo Group, and sure. but of course there are other groups right. uh, as well, partly revolving around the conferences mm -hmm. themselves, like the DefCon crowd, yeah. uh, or like the more traditional or long time groups like 2600 sure how would you say is the interrelationship and communication among these scenes are very different, difficult? Mm. What are your experiences? Well, I think level? the You know, the, a small group of hackers like the Schmoo Group gives you a resource. You know, like I will, um, you know, I will ask questions of that. I mean, that's, there's like 40 people in the Schmoo Group, and that's a, a you know group of friends. You know, a lot of them I only ever see at conferences. Some of them have never even met each other. You know, um, I've, I'm not probably the only one who's actually met every other Schmoo. And the thing about it is that. You know, to, that's like a group of friends who, we, you know, we get to trust each other and get to know each other and work on projects together. And and we discuss a lot of things. You know, I find out, uh, I learn a great deal about the current state of security issues from them. Most of them work 100% professionally as uh, computer security industry folks. And so, you know, at any given time, I probably know as much as anyone about what's going on in security just because I'm hanging out with them. And anybody could replicate that. I mean, I think, and that's what people should do is, you know, you know, the Schmoo Group's probably as big as we need to get it because it's, you know, things have, these things have growing pains, but anybody could make a group of 10 or 20 people who were, who they met and thought shared their interests. And I think that, you know, the internet's obviously making that useful. Conferences are a great way to spend some time together and, and improve upon the shortcomings of email and instant messenger. And then, um, 
you know, figure out what you want to do together. And that's what we did. And I see that happening in other groups. You know, we had really close relationship with uh, the Ghetto Hackers, which is an, which was a another kind of notorious hacker group. And um, but they, you know, also very ad hoc. But they uh, did some fantastic things. They ended up running the Capture the Flag contest, which is um, hacker contest at DefCon for several years. They won it for three years in a row, and then they ran the contest for three years in a row, and then retired from that. And then um, you know there are other you know sort of other hacker groups like that, and they wax and wane, but they have uh, they have their own value to the especially to the members, you know. So <coughs> we're talking about internal communications within yeah. within the group. Sure. You, you definitely mentioned like the internet, and of course it's mm -hmm. the obvious uh, yeah, space of, of communication. Is there any kind of uh, physical space to meet apart from conferences, well like we'd, yeah. clubs or other uh, meeting places? Well, we yeah, in in Seattle in particular, we have been pretty lucky because Microsoft is importing lots of security experts, and so we have kind of a critical mass of hackers. And in our case, we We started with the 2600 meeting, which is each month, um, and in a lot of U.S. cities, there's a 2600 meeting. But we ended up with a pretty big one, and then we always have a party each month after 2600, and we call it 2621, and we'll invite new people sometimes to come to come out and party with us each uh, the first Friday of every month in Seattle. And now I think it's famous. I mean, I think you know, hackers from all over the world, whenever they come to Seattle, they come to s come to 2621 so we always have a flow of interesting people coming through and What so is we're it called 2621 uh, I think it was the it was for the it was supposed to be for the 21 and over crowd because there's a lot oh. you know we go out and get <laughs> drinks um, but but uh, that's pretty loosely enforced I think um, so it's you know for us we've been really you know lucky but we have to put some effort into fostering that community you know like when we went to You know, for a while at 2600, we we always would um, ask whoever wanted to speak about something, so we'd get somebody speaking, and it could be any, it could be a 15 year old kid talking about, you know, learning how to write a compression algorithm. You know, I mean, those are anything goes at, at those meetings. There, if you go to a 2600 meeting in most cities, it's just going to be a few geeks sitting around at a coffee shop with their laptops and so you know you take that and say well how do we make this a little more valuable to us and uh the answer might be to have somebody give talks or to choose a project to work on together and and again in seattle we got pretty lucky because uh because i think we have some great folks around and great hackers around and um like uh eric johansson and i have a lab that we uh we have a hacker bot we call it the hacker bot lab and we um we build robots and things and each each saturday and hope everybody you know, he's invited and all kinds of people come over and work on crazy robot projects and stuff at our lab and um it's helping build the community and um, i actually brought a i completely forgot to mention it on stage but i brought a robot that we built in the lab to dld with me and it's a it's called the drawbot it's a little robot that you feed it photographs and it tries to draw them it's kind of fun i'm gonna set it up a little later and Maybe tomorrow or something. So you're, you're pretty much into these hands-on things. Yeah, I am. I think also, it's well, always have been part of the hack culture. True, and, uh, but I think it's endangered. You know, you think so? Yeah, I think. I, mean, I, I think there's a ton of interest, 
And especially in the U.S., we have Make Magazine, uh, some of those yeah, guys. Yeah, especially that's what I wanted to yeah. mention. Make Magazine yeah. uh, was launched. When, where was it, like one About and a half year years ago? ago? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think they have tr tremendous ex uh, success yeah. in, in, in collecting yeah. lots of stuff, which is like more than ca you can read if you yes. just follow the blog. It's true, it's true. So I think there's a, a lot of things out there that right. just yeah, like has the to come together. Well, the, in a way, like the Drawbot is a Make project because... Uh, You know, the Make Magazine guys hang out at our lab and they built it there. And that's, uh, to me, it's wonderful. I mean, I think Make is wonderful. And I think t there's a, um, you know, a yearning for this kind of hands-on and do-it-yourself kind of thing. And um, and Make is just showing people what's possible in, in ways that they didn't imagine. And so I'm, I'm totally enthusiastic about that. What I mean by endangered is that even... You know, the reason Make looks successful is because it's easy for them, relatively easy for them to find the kind of people who are interested in it all over the U.S. in particular, maybe all over the world. I don't know what their distribution looks like. But um, but we have to win converts. You know, we have to find ways to get to those kids and those people who otherwise would never see Make magazine, would never do those kinds of things. And right now, I think what we're doing is we're starting by just the people who already know. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm not in no way saying Make's not doing that, but it's they're at the beginning of that still. And it's not just their problem. It's all of ours, you know. And and what I mean by endangered in, in particular is that, you know, products uh, these days, the way they're made, are, are far less observable in the way that they work. So when I was a kid, I could flip a toaster over and take out the screws and open it up and... I could see the springs inside and see the mechanism and see how it worked. Well, now, you know, you get a toaster and it's glued together. And if you break it open, you're, you're going to find a little green circuit board in there. And all the mechanical principles are embodied in electronics. And, and so because of that, it makes it, um, I think it makes it a lot harder to learn, you know, to, because you can't learn from your environment around you. You know, learning how a toaster from a book Come on, that's no fun. Nobody's going to do that. Learning how it works, I mean, that's that doesn't make any sense. And and so because we've because of the way we develop products, we're building a world that that where lots of knowledge is getting lost and and it's not that we don't know how to make a wind-up toaster. It's just that kids aren't going to be exposed to that. They you know, instead they're learning they're being exposed to very complicated things and they can't see the building blocks that make them. And so um, those are, you know, those. Are, that's why I say it's kind of endangered. Um, it's not that we won't always have smart people, and it's not that we won't always have Wikipedia to tell us how <laughs> how a wind-up toaster worked. It's just that, um, you know, to make it part of yourself, you have to experience it. It's much different, and that kind of learning is much different than the learning you get reading in a book. So, you know, even like working at Blue, um, we we're building spaceships, but The idea there is to um, is to try and you know make a spacecraft that can take people to space, but it's a hard problem because um, we can read in books about how rockets are built and we can read everything about what NASA's always done. But the truth is, you got to do it yourself. You know, you got to go through it, you got to experience it, you got and and so that's what Blues does. You know, we build one ship, test it out, see how that goes. Build the next one, test it out. You know, we're getting a little better each time. And I think that that's, uh, 
you know, that's how people, you know, really learn and how groups really learn. I mean, in that process of building spaceships, we learn how to work together. We learn what, you know, kind of time it takes and what kind of costs, and we learn things that don't work. And we could have read all that in a book. We did read all the books that tell you, but it's different. It's a different feeling that you get when you do things yourselves. And so, you know, like one thing I meant to tell people here on stage is that, you know, I know they all have VCRs at home somewhere. They're not using them to watch VHS tapes. Just get a fucking screwdriver and take it apart and see how it works. I mean, the ejection mechanism on a VCR is... It's amazing. Uh, it yeah. is amazing. It's <laughs> unreal. And the, and, the, and the head is this really shiny metal electromagnet thing. I mean, I think the heads and VCRs are really cool, you know? People probably never seen that. Just take it apart. It's not like you need a VCR, you know? You have it. It's probably <laughs> the last thing you'll ever have that's worth taking apart. So do it, you know? Yeah, right. Anyway. Um, so to wrap up, yeah. I know that, well, you're, you're based in the U.S. and sure. lots of your activities are probably based there. But yeah. I know you've been you've been around. You've also been to uh, one of our uh, Chaos Communication yeah. conferences. What are your experiences with hacker scenes outside of North America? So well, far? I think it's wonderful. I mean, when we first came to Germany, we were, for CCC, we were just amazed at, at the, you know, these crazy German hackers and things like the, the C, uh, what's the sea base and the things that they have done there it's just wonderful it's delightful you know and also I mean we've seen some really scary stuff they did I mean there's hackers in Germany that we saw doing um, some of the really early work on hacking cell phones um, and ex cell phone exploits and things you know stuff that we hadn't even played with it's really amazing um, so I'm, I'm, I'm impressed I love it but the truth is yeah I can't say that I think that we're in touch you know i mean we you know if you guys demo some some cool new attack we're going to read about it on you know <laughs> on up. some on slashed up probably or some other yeah. blog but that's about that's about <coughs> which is a good start you know but and i think there's some cross pollination between uh the groups but um Yeah, I, I, I yeah. agree. It's, it's lacking some kind of global networking, which, yeah. is, which is kind but of kind of funny. But that may be okay. You hackers know, will like always, yeah. you know, coming up with this uh, meme of the global village and the, yeah. the, the the ever interconnectedness, and, and, and in the end, they're probably the last one to interconnect. Right there, you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I really think we can can improve on that, and I definitely see improvements uh, in the last years. So, and uh, apart from Europe, any. Any insight into Asian or um, um, other scenes? I I can't say I'm uh, particularly connected outside of, of the U.S. and Europe. And I think, you know, I, th I would love to be because I see some hints of amazing things. I mean, I know that, I mean, if you look in China, you've got hackers who are on the government payroll. They have websites they're talking about the stuff they're doing they don't publish any of their exploits they don't report anything they're using the same operating system we are and we don't ever hear about the stuff they find and i think that to me it's like both intriguing and scary you know i mean i think there's probably a lot more chinese hackers than there are american hackers and And, I th and we're at the beginning of understanding what that means, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're definitely lacking this specific kind of history that, yeah. that both the U.S. and, and, yeah. and uh, definitely also Europe had in, in, in yeah. growing up with technology. So yeah. these things are not like 30 years sure. around. Yeah, they're sure. Just bumping into it and, and everything is developing pretty fast. So they're just 
almost can't keep up with the mm -hmm. development that is uh, coming out right now. Um, yeah, but we were taking a closer look at this mm. uh, as well in the future. Mm. So I th I say thank you, yeah. Pablos, for this uh, very interesting talk, and I hope we can uh, meet you at uh, our conferences yeah, and my other pleasure. conferences well, I hope uh, so. much more, probably at the camp in August. That would definitely yeah, that would be also be a place to like have this made things, like yeah. real installation, the hands-on imperative. Yeah. <laughs> coming back to the hacker scene. Yeah. Okay, thank you and goodbye. Okay, thanks. <laughs>